I seen something laying there and looked through the scope and I could see it one side big rack with the stickers on it sticking up boy I was tore up tears started rolling I got down there and I couldn't believe how big his mass was it was just it was unbelievable to 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 see a deer like that in person on, on public land but he was man, I was tore up Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and this week we're going to be talking to Michael Perry of Alabama. Now, those of you outside of Alabama may not be familiar with that name, but Michael is well known locally for consistently killing big mature bucks on really some of the the toughest public land in this part of the country. So uh, last year, he really took things up a notch by killing Alabama's biggest muzzleloader killed non-typical ever. Uh, the buck measured out at 195 and 6 eighths inches gross score. And Michael's going to walk us through that hunt and just share a ton of great scouting and hunting, hunting strategy with us as well. This episode will definitely get you fired up for deer season. And hey, speaking of deer season, by the time this releases on Wednesday, August 31st, uh, it'll just be 10 days out from the deer season opener here in Georgia where I'm at. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped for that. And, uh, but a couple states have already opened up, including parts of Florida. I know South Carolina, uh, there's a few states that'll open up tomorrow on September 1 and even more states opening up this weekend. So it's uh, man, it is an exciting time of year. I don't know about you guys, but I sure am ready to start seeing more deer picks and a whole lot less politics in my social media feed. So uh, that will definitely be a pleasant change of pace. So hopefully you guys, as your seasons are kicking in out there, you're getting an opportunity to get out and get in the field. Hey, and with deer season upon us, we're starting to crank out a lot of great new video content on the NDA YouTube channel, including a brand new video on how to age deer in the field that releases tomorrow. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast today, it releases Uh, That video is going to launch tomorrow on September 1st, and we're extremely excited about this one. Uh, We worked closely with the guys at Bearded Buck. Um, They provided a lot of video footage for us. They provided the editing to really make this a a high-quality piece of video content that's going to walk you through how to age deer in the field, how to estimate age of deer in the field, uh, including a little, uh, I think, a 20 deer quiz at the end of that. So you can kind of test what you learned at the end of the video. So be sure to check that out. Uh, you can go to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash deer association, or just head over to YouTube and search for National Deer Association. Uh, you shouldn't have any any problem finding us. But while you're there, be sure to hit that subscribe button and the little notification bell so you'll be alerted anytime we uh, we release a new video. So be sure to, to check that out. Before we get Michael on the phone, though, I do need to mention that this episode is brought to you by longtime supporter HHA Sports. If you haven't seen it yet, HHA just released their new line of bow sights for 2022 called the Tetra Rise. That's R-Y-Z. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's something completely different from anything they've done before. It's actually two stacked pins on their two two stacked sight pins on their you know their typical adjustable base. So you know not only can you dial in that that one pin to the desired yardage like you've always been able to do with HHA sights, but now you have a second pin, a lower pin that'll be dialed into a longer yardage, and both of those are signified on on your tape, your yardage tape. There's two. Um, two pins there that kind of show you what the yardage is set for each one. So not only are you going to be able to get longer shots now out of your sight tape, you know, maybe maybe you shoot 3D archery or competitive archery and you need to be able to take some longer shots. Um, that's going to be a, an option. But you're also going to have kind of a larger yardage span now covered by your sight without ever touching that yardage dial. So depending on how you have it dialed in, you know, it may be set on the top pin may be on 20, your bottom pin may be on 40. So you kind of have the full range covered. 
uh, if that deer comes in and you don't have time to adjust. So pretty cool concept from HHA. Be sure you can check that out over at their website at hhasports.com. And one other thing before we dive into the interview, uh, we've just kicked off our latest fundraiser. It's the Weatherby Vanguard Talus 6.5 Creedmoor Rifle Sweepstakes. I know that's a mouthful, uh, but obviously there you can you can gather what we're giving away. We have three of those Weather Vanguard uh, rifles. We'll be giving them away to, to three individual winners, and you can, that'll, that'll be, hey, just in time for deer season here, guys. Uh, what a great prize that would make. So be sure to check that out at DeerAssociation.com slash Weatherby. Or you can just go to our homepage at DeerAssociation.com and click on the big Weatherby Sweepstakes banner right there on our homepage. So, hey guys, with that, we're going to jump on the phone here with Michael Perry to talk about his 195-inch Alabama muzzleloader buck, as well as his, his strategy for consistently killing big mature puck bucks on tough public land. Hey, Michael, uh, b- before we dive into hunting strategy and, and your record book buck from this past season, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and and maybe how you developed a, a passion for hunting in the outdoors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, like I say, I'm Michael Perry from Alabama. I'm in from Coleman County. It's uh, halfway between Birmingham and Huntsville. I'm uh this year will be my, it's my 25 years of working at a plant, working 12 hour swing shift. Uh, I grew up kind of in the country, trapping and squirrel hunting and stuff like that. Got a Went deer hunting a few times with my dad and stuff when I was younger. And then when I turned 17, I went in the Navy for five years. Then when I come out of that, I tried to get back into hunting a little bit. And then later on, when I turned around 31, I got more serious and had more time and killed a pretty good buck. Then I started getting a little more serious and changing my strategy a little bit. Me and my brother had our ideas of what we was trying to do. So we started hunting serious more, more toward a little bit bigger bucks, not as a trophy hunter as a lot of people are but just we got goals and we just we try to stick to that but my wife has, has got where she's into it good and she enjoys it so we don't our son is going out of the house we got two grandchildren and uh we have a little bit more time where we can do it on our own a bunch so we enjoy the outdoors and it's all public land we'll make a few trips every now and then out, out of state or something and uh but my main passion is public land whitetails and we are hard after it. It's about time to get going there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, your your wife uh, kills her share of big deer as well, don't she? Yeah, she does pretty good. She's uh, she's killed a four-year-old and a three-year-old. She killed three eight points, and she passed up her first eight point last year, and it got on her a little bit because she's trying to get into the next level a little bit. You know? <laughs> so uh, especially after I killed that the one, so she's holding back a little bit. So, but but she's a honey. She's had. She's had a few chances on some big ones that just didn't work out. Right. Yeah. But at any time, she's, she's very able to bring a whopper in. So y'all just kind of be on the look for that because she's dedicated and real patient and a good shot. So so we'll uh, we'll be looking for her to be dragging a big one out here for too long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's only a matter of time, I'm sure. Yeah. So have you, I guess, how did you transition into a, a public land hunter? Kind of what, what brought that about? Well, we pretty much, that's pretty much what we did. I've only been in a few clubs, period, and I just didn't like the restrictions. You had to wait a certain time to pin in or pin in, and you had to be, I mean, just too many rules and stuff like that for me to try to worry about it. It's, it was it was a little bit, to me, on the public land, you, you still have to worry about people messing with you, but you've got more control of what you can do. You don't have to, to be real, I guess, visible on the, on the club stuff, so. And plus, I, the way I work, they, they want work days, and I'd have to pay a fine. If I'm in there, I'd have to pay a fine for the work days because I never, I never was off most time to do them. So, but we just done the public land stuff and really enjoyed that. So it's it's unique how you can jump around. And right now, we're just pretty much chasing the rut. So we so we got three or four different areas you can chase the rut from from basically pre-rut from Halloween all the way to February 10th in Alabama. So that's, that's a unique thing. And I think in Georgia, y'all can pretty much do the same thing. So if you wanted to, so it's, I like that aspect of it. Um, uh, to me, it's, that's our sort of better chance for a bigger buck. Most of the time, it's it's just too hard to to do, uh, like picking out a specific buck on public land. Cause whenever there's squirrel hunters and stuff like that come in, it, they just take per, uh, pressure as pressure. And they, they go nocturnal quick or they don't, 
they don't roam around as much in the daylight, so it's, it's tough for a early season on us. So we just concentrate on the pre-rut and stuff most, mostly when we start. So if we do, uh, we can get in a little bit more specific how to do early season hunt, but it's, it's kind of a little bit different. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely been a change. Um, I'm originally from Kentucky, so, you know, it was that traditional first week to first two weeks of, of November, you know, it was a rut no matter where you were at in the state. And so, it, yeah, it's been different moving down here to Georgia. Now, now where I'm at in Georgia, it, it's about that same time frame. But, yeah, like you said, you you can move around not that far, really, in, in different directions and, and get into completely different rut timing. So that's, oh, yeah. that's yeah, been – it's been a change for sure, but it does. It does, like you said, make it makes it a, a cool opportunity to be able to do that, be able to jump around a little bit and and extend that that rut hunting for a, a big part of the season. Right. Yeah, and I and I can uh, I can relate on the clubs. I, I did <laughs> when I moved here to Georgia. I did the the club thing for I guess two two seasons, and uh, it was back to public land for me. <laughs> I just uh, I'm the same way. I didn't didn't like uh only in my case the the one i was in i couldn't get them to implement any rules it was pretty much a free-for-all and man there was guys just laying down seven eight deer piece and yeah yeah um uh, well now don't get me wrong a lot of them clubs have had we've got some real good clubs and they kill some big deer and they got some good you know as far as the guidelines about what they want to hunt as far as trophy hunting and stuff like that i don't have an issue with that at all and they, that's helped you know, nowadays you can tell the difference uh, even from what the state's done to what everybody else is. They're starting to pass some younger deer and stuff like that. So it's it's improved dramatically it appears to be over the last couple of years. But so that, that part I don't have an issue with, but I don't have a I want it to like on public land, the one of the things I like about it is people you got people that just strictly meet hunt, so I don't have a I don't have a problem with that. So if they want to, as long as they're going by what's legal, I, that's fine with me. So that makes you happy, and that's what you're trying to get to eat. That's fine. I don't. I want that to still be available for people to do. So, but it's kind of a, it's kind of a tough situation for some folks. So. Yeah, yeah. Now, before we get into actual hunting strategy, um, let, let's talk about your your buck from last season because, yeah, you know, I know I know you're no uh, you're no stranger to killing some good public land bucks, but but last season you kind of outdid yourself. So. <laughs> Uh, can can you tell us a little bit about that buck and and maybe walk us through how that hunt played out? Yeah, I can. He's a yeah. He's I probably won't never. I know I won't say I probably won't never have the opportunity to win that big again. But you know because hey, you never know. But uh, this is a yeah. He was a big buck. I had a I had him on camera. Noticed him on camera say three seasons ago. <clears throat> he had a he had all the stickers. Excuse me, my voice is killing me. <clears throat> But he had all the stickers and stuff, and was he was younger, but he he was beautiful. I mean, I don't know if I could have passed him if I'd have seen him. And uh, uh, one of my strategies is I put cameras out in different funnel areas above on my creek crossing. The creek crossing is where I start out on a lot of my stuff is finding big tracks. Well, I had a camera out on a, a shelf like it goes toward a bluff gap above a creek crossing, and I picked him up and another book, say three seasons ago, and was kind of paying attention to what time frame and then the next year well when we go back that year i had him again in after the season like in march or not in february but anyway he was running a couple other bucks but he still had his antlers but he looked rough he was tore up looking skinny i showed pictures to the biologist and we kind of worried about him a little bit but uh the next season after I, so I don't check my cameras to pretty much after the season's over with. I had him on camera again. But he was he, he got his frame built up real good. But he only had like one split, and uh, he was probably close to one sixty then. And uh, I missed him by one day. He come by like one day after uh, a hunt that I was down there on, and uh, he was falling three does. And I, of course, I would have shot him by the scene, but but he was a whopper. And uh, I, again. The time frame that he was kind of using this area, I kind of paid attention to, and it was daylight. You know, he just a couple of times he'd be daylight in this this one little area. So, so I said, I was talking to a buddy of mine, I said, I think that circuit's going to be 180 plus this year. So, and I know about if he keeps his pattern the same, I know about what time he's coming through there. So, so I didn't. I'll pull. I'll make sure our batteries and stuff are good on our cameras. <clears throat> excuse me. Like in August, and I done all that. And so um, anyway, I didn't have any. I never had a velvet picture of him. He was just he just show up hard horn and say in November and the uh, first week of November a couple of times and maybe a little bit later on. And then uh 
So I paid attention to that, and uh, I had to work. They had a muzzleloader hunt the first uh, week of November. That was another thing. I was going to talk my muzzleloader all season and stay after him hard on all the gun hunts. You've got limited gun hunts in this area, and they're just weekend hunts mostly. Rest of the time, bow hunt. I also bought a crossbow because of the way the area is and the angle of where I was going to be set up above him at. I wanted to be, I have all, everything I could toward me that I could as far as help to try to take him out. If I could, you know, when the leaves fell off, I was going to be crossbow and hunting. So anyway, I went down on the, the first day. The first day I got to hunt was the last day of the motor hunt. It was November 5th. I put Kathy, I'm in her hunt like a half a mile or so apart. We got a kind of strategic way about how we're doing different little bluffs and buff gaps and fence points and stuff. So she's a half a mile away and we got down there and it was kind of cool, but it wasn't, wasn't nothing real bad. And it's still, it was still green as all get out this, this, this season that we hadn't had that many frost. Well, about 9.35 or something like that, I had a buck come. I mean, first time I seen him, he was like 20 yards away. He was, he was a decent buck. A lot of people would probably might have shot him. He was big body looking and seven point or something like that. And he was just, he was just slowly milling around, picking up acorn every now and then. He got up by a big old wide oak, stopped there, and kind of went around it, done a circle, picking up acorn or so, and then he just eased off. And I kind of was watching where he went, kind of paying attention, and something caught the corner of my eye. And to my right, and looked, and I seen a big body and just a piece of a big beam, and, and you could tell it was mass, and he just, he just stepped behind a tree with a bunch of leaves and stuff, and all I could see was his rear end. But I knew it was big, so I even got my mother propped up and just waited on him. It seemed like it was going to take forever. He just stood there, froze. I don't know <laughs> if he was kind of detecting something or what. He just, he didn't move. And I was like, man, I even thought about shooting in the high hip or something, just try to break him down. But anyway, I waited, and he and he stepped out. As soon as he stepped out, I had to just kind of quarter and wait a little bit. I had to cross there right behind his shoulder, and I squeezed that off. And I could remember seeing the, his tail go up through the, go along with the smoke and uh he, he fired out of there and i thought i could hear some kind of crash but anyway i was gonna wait an hour because i didn't see him go down like i say it was green and you couldn't really tell what all was happening so that's my one of my things if i don't see him go down i'm waiting an hour or so yeah about 30 minutes later i had to think pee or something so i, I got up and took care of all that and i said well, i'm gonna eat some of my stuff in my backpack and then uh i forgot about that pee ball and i knocked that thing off and it, it hit everything in the world going down. It sounded like he dropped a chainsaw or something. <laughs> made all kind of dang racket. And I said, dang. So anyway, I eased on down after that and went to where I thought I'd seen him go off, but I couldn't find any blood or anything. And I said, well, so I went back up to about where I shot at and done some grid stuff back and forth and found good blood and followed it a little bit and found a, a beech tree where he'd run into it and knocked bark off of it. Started to go over a little rise, and I seen something laying there, and looked through the scope, and I could see it one side big rack with the stickers on it sticking up. Boy, I was tore up. Tears <laughs> started rolling. I got down there, and I couldn't believe how big his mass was. It was just, it was unbelievable to 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 see a deer like that in person on, on public land. But he was, man, I was tore up, just tears uh, and you know, all that. And then I was uh. I killed a you know bigger one a couple of years ago with a bow, and I'd always told myself if I ever killed one Pope and Young, I was going to have it full body man. And I was so excited when I killed that one, but I forgot about it, cut his legs off already, so I didn't get to do the full body mount. So I was told myself, yeah, so we full body mount this stuff. So I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, looking at him, I said, he's, he's 170 anyway. I said, that sucker's, you know, he's 170. He didn't, he didn't look like he, he was so compact on his horns, but massive. I said, he's 170, he'd be a full body mount. So. I barely cut a notch in him to, to get his gut stuff out and like us, you know, wouldn't wear bees or for the full body mount stuff. And I drug him for about an hour to by myself trying to get him away from, cause I knew I was going to get people one because I knew I was going to have to get help because I had to get up a bluff face and two because I wanted witnesses to see, you know, cause he was, I mean, it was the biggest thing I'd seen out in the woods. So, uh, I drug him for an hour and got him kind of situated, left a bargain or something on him, keep the coyotes off of him. Then, Went to my wife, and when I got to her, I was, you know, I was excited during the getting all that stuff. I had blood all over me, and please pulled. <laughs> got up her to her, and she looked and said, "What's you doing?" I said, "I got him." So I was just all tore up. Anyway, I called some people and called the biologists and told them that we're gonna uh, be bringing him, so, like I say, up at nine forty-five, and uh, we didn't 
by the time we got everybody gathered up and got cart and stuff and we got him out, it was nearly five or something that evening. So got him to the checking mm-hmm. station and they rough scored him at 194. And I was like, I told my wife, there ain't no way that thing's 194. I said, that's, you know, crazy. But anyway, he ended up being, we had a couple of different scoring because of, it's hard to get everybody kind of like panel score, but Alabama State scored in 196, 3.8s, and then Buckmasters had 195 and 6.8s. Then I had to wait on the drying period for the Boone and Crockett, and he was a, uh, he netted 194 and something, Boone and Crockett, and, or grossed 194 Boone and Crockett, then netted 188 and something. And I just got the certificate from them in the mail yesterday on that, so that's, that's, Pretty neat. He's awesome. Just big 18 point, 18 scroll points. He only had like a 15, 15 quarter spread. So, but he was big mass, long times, and a bunch of stickers. He's just a beautiful specimen of a deer, and he ended up being the number one in the state. He beat the last one out by four or five inches or something. So, it's amazing. So, kind of living the high life right now. Right? <laughs> he's, he's made. He's made so many trips going going places. We had to change the wheels out on him yesterday because he done wore the wheels out on his, <laughs> on his mount. So. Now, now, what what record did you say was? Well, is he the the he's state muzzleloader? Yeah, state record non typical muzzleloader. So, okay, gotcha. So they have a they have it in your own know, division, so it's kind of neat, unique because the rest of the records are over two hundred inches. So that's even the archery record non typical is like two twenty something, I think. So and it come from the same area, you know it's. I think in the year 2000, uh, Randy Coffey, I don't know if you've heard of that guy's name, but he's got the non-typical state record. It's 220-something from the same public lands. Hmm. Big, you know, it's, there's been uh, four or five deer that's right around 200 or over 200. It's been killed on there over the years. So it has the potential. It's just, it's it's, it's a crazy place, and it, it's tough hunting. It's, it's so rough and big and hard access, but that's the way I like it. They, they can get big and Everything if this year might be better because everything stayed so green. We've had mild winters and spring's been green and quick, and the summer's been wet and green. They had their bodies carried over real good. So I'm expecting it to be good this year, but we'll see. It's I mean it's it's amazing. Oh yeah. Now did did the biologist today uh, did they age him? Did they give you yeah. an age? They aged him six and a half is what they what they got. So okay. And uh, so, like I say and uh. I had pictures of him, which I didn't know I had pictures of him this year until after I killed him. I had a camera in that general area, and I had one of him. And I had a nighttime picture of him there in September. And then I had another camera that I pulled in February when me and my wife was scouting like a half a mile away. I had a daylight picture of him with that buck that he was running with. He was actually leading that buck then, so I don't know <laughs> if he had any tricks. You know, we're going to swap up when the deer season opens or something. But anyway, he was running that same buck. I had a daytime picture of him there in September, so I had two pictures of him this year. So, so it was, uh, and of course, I didn't know about it because I don't, I real, I'm real careful about how I do my cameras, I always putting them somewhere where I would hunt. If I, you know, if it works that way, I'd get something in there. Like the cameras I got out right now, I won't, I'll check, I'll refresh the batteries here in a little bit, and then I won't check again to, after the air season or, or unless I kill something close to it or something, and then kind of use that information for uh, next season. See how they see how they're moving in the daylight and stuff. Yeah, I keep all that. That's another thing. I keep everything documented in the book, so kind of keep up with. And plus, I keep all the camera pictures of the bigger deer. I keep all them saved and go back and correlate all that stuff with the book. And I don't really pay attention to wind or moon or weather, or whatever. If I'm off, the gun hunts are limited on. If I'm off, I, I got to hunt. So I don't. It don't matter to me on the moon and stuff. I'm sure it might make a difference, but it's not going to make a difference on whether I hunt or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you on that. Yeah, and I, I've started, I guess, to which I'd done it when I first started hunting. I'd done some, you know, journal, kind of keeping a journal and, and writing stuff down. And I, I kind of got away from it and then uh, didn't really start back till I guess this will be the third or fourth season. But, man, it's, it, yeah, I wish I'd been doing it all along. It's it's so uh, yeah, so helpful. Not Not only is it helpful as far as hunting strategy and just going back and being able to see, you know, when certain areas, when deer were using certain areas and what they were doing. But, but, you know, it's just cool to be able to relive all those hunts too, to kind of yeah, flip yeah. back through it. So. Yeah, it was, uh, like I've been doing it since 1819. I guess the book right in front of me, I was just had that just in case, but all the way back to 
95 when I actually started keeping up with everything. So, but I got Dang. everything from 88, 1988 in there. So. Dang, yeah. I, I used to just ride on calendars when I transferred it to a journal about 10 years ago. So, just slowly add to it. So, even my fishing stuff, and I've only had one great day of bass fishing. I got that wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a good habit. Good habit to get into. Um, I, I always recommend anybody start hunting to keep a journal, write that stuff down. Yeah, because you'll be you'll be, you'll be looking back later on thinking well, there was something I did or whatever, and you, you can't remember, it and you'd be wishing you wrote it down. So, oh yeah, yeah. Especially though, <laughs> the older I get, the more of those moments I have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Me too. Now was this? Where where you killed this buck was was that your first time going in there that season at all? That was the first time I'd been in that area because uh, I had a plan. I wasn't going to go in there until about the time that I know he was daylight. So yeah. Now in in the past, has that kind of been the case with with most of the the bigger bucks you've killed? Is it typically on that first set, or has has kind of varied? That's that's varied. This is. You know, I was, I was talking a little bit earlier about hunting early season and, and targeting specific bucks. This, I've only killed three bucks that, that I've targeted early season period that, that worked out because it's so hard to, to get them in the daylight. And if you go in there, I, don't, I would screw up and go in there early or whatever and then, then end up messing them up where they know you're hunting them and stuff like that. So, so now with the help of cameras, it's pretty much getting the timeline of when they're, when they're daylight more whenever, because Halloween, like in this, this area, Halloween is a big thing for me. It's a pretty rough stuff. They start, you'll see, you'll pick up some daylight movement more So to me. So, but when I'm running cameras and, and these funnels and edges and stuff like that, in an area where I suspect a big buck's act, I'll pay attention and write down, like you say, on and go back and look at cameras on when they start moving in the daylight. And I, so on him, that's what I told myself. I said, I ain't going in there as bad as I wanted to because I knew it was going to be big as I'm not going in there until November. And that was the first day I got to go when I had that crossbow ready and everything. And once in and start, I was going I was going to hunt him hard. He would know that I was going to get hunted. So, so I'm, that's, that's what I'm doing now is stuff like that. I'm waiting. Early season, <clears throat> like I'm not even, I don't even summer scouting right now because it's so hot, but here in a little bit, I'm gonna start driving around and, and doing some more map stuff. And early season, whenever you ate, you can kind of figure out what the acorns are gonna do. I'll look for a big track outside of these areas that I'm going say for November, you know, or rut days, whatever. I just look for specific tracks outside of them areas, close to you know, a red oak or white oak. That I think they're gonna use, or or an area that's that's above something where I can access in the evening and get pretty tight too. Hopefully catch them coming down, but but during the rut and stuff is is totally a totally different strategy for for me on that. So, but he's like I say, I've only killed three like that that I was targeting early, kind of early season, and yeah. it worked out because uh, two of them with a bow, and then he was no loader. So, <laughs> well, I want I definitely want to get into some some scouting and, and hunting strategy here in just a minute. But before we do that, I'm going kind of back to the area you're hunting mm-hmm. now. I mean, in, in my mind, that's got to be some of the most challenging deer hunting in the country, really, especially for going in and, and killing a, a mature buck. Can you talk a little bit about that and why it is? I mean, what, what kind of give us a little, I mean, not asking you to, to tell the area you're hunting, but as far as like why that's some pretty tough hunting overall. Well, it's it's a real hilly, you know, almost, you can almost say it, which Actually, the high altitude is like 1,100, 1,200 feet high, but it goes down to, you know, 500 feet or something like that. And it's, but it's, you can have a lot of straight up downs, a lot of boulder fields and, you know, limestone croppings and the bluffs. And, you know, it, it's like I say, the access, they have very few access roads. So you're going in, you know, busting brush pretty much in a lot of places all the way to where you want to hunt at. And you, you've, you know, you've you seen all these, or listen to all these podcasts now, they're talking about where they've, collared all these deer and stuff like that well that you can you can take out the grain of salt because me whenever i listen to it that's all the deer you've collared has to be the easiest deer you could target to, to tranquilize it's they're not lugging back there you know it's to me it's not it's not a it's just a small sample of your deer herd so 
majority of all my big bucks have been killed over a mile from a road. So I've killed some decent deer close to the road. So I'm at least going in a mile or more on all these places. And it's, it's, it's rough getting there, but it's worth it. If it can happen, I, I tell people, I don't, I don't worry about killing them and, or I don't worry about getting them out. I've got to get them flat to get them out. <laughs> That's right. Once you can get them laying on the ground, you worry about getting them out later. So, I don't worry about that, so I'm I'm concentrating on them bigger bucks at minimum of a mile back, and it's it's the rougher areas, it, you know. I like to say creek crossings. I use creek crossings to find a big track, and I kind of kind of try to figure out the area as far as what what where the bedding's at for the doe, where he could be bedding at, or where they can be bedding at, and it, that's kind of tough tougher than for a lot of people because if when you're running cameras and they're you know, they're back, back up in velvet and stuff like that. So whenever they rub that velvet off, most of the time they're going to split up and go off their separate ways and, and pick out little home ranges. So I kind of look at an area from a rut hunt that's way off is, is all these different points and stuff to try to figure out where five or six bigger bucks could be in a, in a mile and a half area and try to correlate how they're going to access to go checking for does or, or if they're going to, lay their scrape lines or whatever, how they're going to do that, how they're going to get to doing that, and I'm going to try to intercept them during the rut and doing that. So it's it's always going to maybe be a nasty area that's got a lot of edges or more than one compound feature or something that's going to help me get them within bow range or gun range or whatever, and it, uh, it's all kind of hunt-specific So because we have limited gun days. Yeah. Is this the – this area you're hunting, the, the deer density is, is pretty low as well, isn't it? Right. They, uh, I can give, they say it was 90, say it's 92,000 acres there or something like that. So they are, they averaged one buck last season for a thousand acres killed for the whole season. That's no, no loaded rifle and everything. So that kind of gives you an idea. Yeah. So a good hunting club will kill 20, 30 bucks on a thousand acres, you know? Yeah. How yeah. I'm, Curious how how often do you go out there and hunt and not see a, a single deer? Oh, I've been out there seven days in a row, daylight dark, not see a deer. <laughs> you know, it, just, it just depends. And that, you know, we'll we'll go. I think it was two or three weeks this year early from because that was October first. Now I was thinking it was toward closer to November before we even seen the deer. Me and Kathy both so out of because it was just this year there was so many acorns. It was crazy. They you had to be right where they was at, and hopefully. They would move more than 15 foot because they could lay in something thick and get a little browse and, and get up five gallon bucket full of acorns in 10 foot. It was crazy the way the wildlife were this year. So I was surprised at, of what got killed, but it was that makes it tough. So oh, yeah. So we're hoping yeah. it won't have any acorns this year, but we didn't see hardly anything early. And as another friend of mine was talking about last week that how long it was before we actually seen any deer moving around because it's. It's big woods. This is a big woods area. There's some pines and there's a few cutovers, but it's at the all that's very limited and uh, so it's it makes it tough hunting and it, it's so but it can be rewarding, you know. I, that's I've killed three boats off there now that's in, in the Alabama's record book and one with a bow, one with a gun, one with a muffler now. So that, that's kinda unique and uh, I had a buddy the uh, one of his he killed eight point that's one hundred and fifty three inch eight point. And that's a whopper eight point, and his buddy killed a one fifty seven ten point. Then they killed a the other the same buddy that killed a one fifty three killed a one forty something ten point. So that was that was some nice bucks come off the passing. Some mean some whoppers. All of them was two hundred or so plus pounds. Mine was weight two twenty five. So they were health, they were healthy and stuff. But it, but I say it's a rough rough area. You're nope. pretty you're pretty much bushwhacking in. So. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I hear a lot of guys, you know, talking about trying to trying to hunt that that general area, and and guys that even, you know, that typically kill good deer where they're at, but they go up there and uh, boy, they they seem to to struggle with that area. So I I haven't haven't tried it myself, but it uh, just from everything I've heard, it's it's some tough hunting for sure. It's tough. They've had these early gun hunts, and they people fly out there and. Bunch of people in the first couple of years come out there and they only kill like two or three bucks or something because hey, it's just it's tough and um, crap, that's something on my mind. But anyway, it, it is it, it's real tough. Um, but there's some there's some whoppers out there. So. 
Now, how how is the the hunting pressure overall? Is it is it fairly light because of the difficulty, or does it still get hunted pretty hard? Well, that COVID during that COVID stuff, and the year after that, it was rough. It was a bunch of people. And last year was quite a bit, but it has fell off a little bit. So everybody thinks it's going to be a bunch this year because of the deer I killed and some of my other ones. But, but we'll see. I I haven't I didn't see anybody hunting last year. The year before, I had a guy that come up on me, and I ended up killing him old deer about three hours after he left but uh but it just it just i we kind of plan that out when you you can pay attention to what our parking areas are and stuff like that and kind of over the years i figured out ways of ways of how to get away from the people or or use them to my advantage at times and just there's you can you can get away from people and some people worry about some of them gates but there'll be 10 trucks parked at the gate but you can you can pull up there and go in. You probably won't even see anybody because them roads with them gates like that, them roads just two or three miles long and fifty or hundred dang ridges that you that are yeah. or haulers, whatever. Because like I say, it's got a bunch of different little haulers and ridges, and you can get away from people pretty quick. And the deer have figured out a lot of that stuff. They know where people <laughs> access and stuff, and they can use it to their advantage too. So that makes it a little tougher. So, so if you come in there to see deer, you ain't going. <laughs> You're gonna be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, but I, I mean, when I was younger, I I give up on the place. I left it. I wouldn't hunt it for us. It just drive me up a wall. And now I just stick with it. So it just because of, it can happen. It's, it's the you know people get on to me about what the hell I say it, but it's the best place in Alabama for to me for a chance of a two hundred deer. You know, if you want to, you ain't got nowhere else to go or go to Illinois or Iowa or whatever. And Alabama to me has. I think out deer was the biggest one killed in Alabama last year, and it was kind of surprising to me. Around Birmingham area, and there's another county or two that they'll they'll push one around 200. So, so but anyway, it wasn't this year. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's a it takes a discipline to be able to hunt places like that, and yeah. and like you said, go weeks without even seeing a deer, and and still getting up and getting back at it the next day. That's right. That's tough. Yeah, and you've only got the they only got, I think on one side, they got it split up in zones. They got a, a zone on that side that's, you know, antler restriction. The other side is open as far as there's no antler restriction. It's the bigger side and it's the harder access. So, so it's, it, it's, but it makes it, makes it better to an extent. But, but people, like a lot of people have had their heart broke going out there. <laughs> so how much of your hunting strategy each season is based solely on on your past experience versus getting out and and new new scouting i guess is it mostly are you mostly just going back in and you've already found these good spots over the years and you're just focused on that or or is it every year you're going through a scouting routine to figure out where you want to be well as far as my rut areas they're like i've got four areas that's over a mile per area that i kind of it took years to kind of learn specific ways that they travel you know even from pressure or from, from rutting or whatever so i kind of save them areas off for later on in the you know halloween pass then for early bow season we're, we'll go out there starting in september and start doing a little walking trying to figure out what how that is going to be and look for buck tracks outside that completely different areas we'll do that fresh every year and then when it gets closer to november We'll do, I'll do a spot check on how they can go in them areas, and we'll we'll do a strategy as far as what cameras I've used in them areas that lets me know how they've been traveling during the during the rut as far as daylight. So, unless I've had them uh, cameras that I put out when I'm doing my postseason scouting, I keep cameras with me. And if I find something that's interesting, I will put a camera out. If that shows me something different for the next season, I'll, I'll change up and use that for the rut area. So I'm kind of doing things ahead of time with the cameras, like way ahead of time. And then the early season stuff is fresh on the, you know, on the, on the ground boot scouting. So, so it's kind of a two or three different layer things that we're using. It's kind of just kind of stay ahead of the game a little bit, but early season is always the fresh sign of a specific buck outside of it. That's I screw him up. I don't have to worry about, I've screwed up my main area. So, because they're, I'm always trying to hunt tight on them areas, you know, just close to a feeding tree that's got buck sign or in the evening is, is most of the ones I've killed in early season to be in the evening because I can catch them coming down off a hill or a bluff face or something like that when they're coming down and go to, 
to do their little jaunts or their maybe one to three or the water or something like that. So that that's early season specific. But my rut and stuff is all pretty much got something to do with the creek crossings and that are that are. If I can find a creek crossing that's got a bluff gap associated with it, close to a shelf or pine edge or different, just more different features that'll make a make them unique where deer got to go pretty much that way. And most time it's something you won't even, you can stand there and look at you, you won't notice it because it's, it's just, they just use it every, at certain times of the year. So you got to, if you went down there in October, it'd be dried up. And if you went down there in February, it's pretty much dried up. So it's, it's kind of, it makes it tough and trying to put the puzzle together, but you just got, it takes a lot of time writing down notes and using cameras and then paying attention to the tracks are, and how what they're going to and where they're coming from. It's just a lot of stuff. And plus then thermals out there, it's kind of, you got to play it into your mind too while you're scouting because some in dark places, it's almost impossible to hunt because then thermals pull down so long that you can't either, unless you go in from the bottom. And I hate going in from the bottom unless I'm popping up and over to the area because I'm, most of the time I go in from accessing the bottom to me in the mornings, I end up running something out because they're, they still haven't made their move to the bedding because most of the time they're bedding kind of above something. So so it's hard on them places. So I kind of stay on the edges of stuff like that because I don't want them because they, they can take in places where it's, them thermals are falling nearly to lunch way to their advantage. And it, it, it's almost impossible for you to get in there. So I just leave them areas. I try to leave them areas alone, but I, don't, I like knowing where they're at because them bucks love using areas like that. So Yeah. Now you you've mentioned a bluff gap a couple of times. Can you kind of describe what that is for somebody that might might not have heard that before? Yeah. Yes, it's basically you around drainages and stuff like that. You can have a bluff wall where where nothing can get up it. Where a deer, not a not any kind of animal, or even a human, then bluff walls might run for hundred yards or five hundred yards or a mile or whatever. And you're looking for a place that's in between the bluffs where a deer or animal can go up and down, and it's that's about pretty much the only place they can go up and down. So that's that's pretty much what that is. It's just you just only place they can get up and down from if they're moving from top to bottom. So yeah, yeah, I would, I would think that would create a, a pretty good pretty good funnel for them. Yeah, or for you. Right yeah, well, but it's got to be the right one because a lot of times it's like a like if you're going down the interstate or something and you got them cop pullovers where they where they can shoot across to one side. That's just every now and then, so it's got to be the right funnel because there'll be trails above them and trails below them, and it's just got to be the right. It's just got to be the right way for whether they're going to bedding or for what. Some of them, some of them, only use if it's pressured. So it's kind of that's where kind of cameras come in, and you got to be real careful about how you put your cameras where the deer don't see them because they're some of them gaps are just specific for escape routes or stuff like that. So you got to tie all that in if for just. That's how they go to bed and or how they go into food or whatever. So it takes a lot because they're not all bluff gaps are the same. So you just kind of, it takes a lot of legwork to figure all that out. So. Yeah. And and I was thinking the same thing earlier when you were talking about these, these creek crossings. That's one thing I, you know, when I'm out scouting, I do, I like to walk those creeks, but I'm always struggling with, and I'm, you know, packing my cameras with me, my trail cameras, and I'm always struggling with which creek crossing do I throw my camera on? You know, there might be, three or four creek crossings in a you know a 200 yard span say where they're where they're crossing right. um what, how, how are you going about that what, what are you looking for specifically to to kind of yeah, figure I out through, i went through them same trials <laughs> here is trying to do that and I've, I've i hardly ever hunt on the on the crossing down there where, right where it's at because a lot of times because them dang creeks so you you know they're pulling water or, so it's moving so most of the time so it's pulling thermals it's pulling with the water and and I've been busted by so many bucks hunting right there on the creek crossings. I feel like a lot of times it's almost like the way they do a green field, a buck will kind of circle or half circle the green field, picking the wind up, checking what's out there or whatever. And I feel like a buck will come down to the creek crossing and he'll walk it coming and going against the grain. So he's going with the water facing, coming to him and he can pick up anything that might be around there before he steps to cross it. So I don't, I've been busted many a time doing that, so I always put my cameras and I always hunt above them, close to them. You know, you stand there, look at the creek cross, and you look up, look toward either the closest point or the closest timber change or train change, anything like that, and then start trying to figure out where you want to put the camera there. You know, it might take you a couple of times before it's moving the camera, but I always 
start out above it and closer to what kind of, some kind of edge or something. So that makes them, that'll bring them three crossings or whatever to a different point. And there might be two or three trails, whatever. You just, it starts narrowing it down. That's why I like using creek crossings associated with shelves or edges, thin gaps, you know, and just, it just, and plus you're looking at maps and stuff. Like there's a bunch of things you can look at as a hippie trying to figure out that, but it's a lot of footwork. So, but I just always try to tie in more than one thing to a place where I'm going up. So are uh, your actual hunting locations, your your stand sites, are they typically, it sounds like you said you're not hunting right on the creek crossings. Are you hunting, so are you hunting high? Or are you hunting near ridge tops, on ridge tops? Are you, you know, mid ridge? What, what? That, that, always, that can vary. Sometimes it's way up there high and then sometimes it's, it, it's, it'd be mid range or, or lower because a lot of that depends on kind of how the, I think the thermals are going to be or, or if I can't if I can't get there without well messing something up, I'll stay up higher. But most of the time they're from the creek crossing to where I'm hunting at, it's gonna be a quarter mile below where I think they're bedding or something like that. You know, maybe a couple hundred yards. It just depends on how I can get in there. You always got your access and that's something I do. I always go in and out the same way because I don't wanna leave in various different scent trails. You know, if I get to a place and where I'm hunting at, and the, the thermals are safe, it's going to be cloudy all day, and the thermals going to hang up. You're not; they're going to stay pulling instead of switching pretty quick. Then I might have to step below where I think they're coming up. But most of the time, I'm staying above it, and I don't care if the wind's coming on my back or not, because them hunts are going to be mostly gun specific or rut specific. And the way I'm set up, if I, if the wind is going right where they're crossing or whatever, and I should have them shot by then, so. I just don't want the wind blowing to where I think they're coming from or where they where they're going. So it's like a bedding area. So generally, I'm above unless it's in the evening. Evening, I'm always below. So okay. Now going back to those those rut areas, those places that you're pre rut rut areas, places you got picked out that you kind of stay out of mm-hmm. um, that you've developed over the years. What is it? Uh, other than you already mentioned, you know, bluff gaps, a big thing you look for, and that, that certainly makes sense. But I guess what is it about those areas besides just the bluff gap that, that draw you to them or that or that make them stand out, I guess, from from other areas? What what do you think? What's the draw there, the similarities, I guess? Most of them places, uh, I used to just call them junctions or, or uh, crap. There's another term. People call them thermal hubs now, but. Most places like that I'm hunting where there's three or four ridges or fingers or something that's coming together right there somewhere. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I'm setting up where I can, I've got more than one possibility. So I'm, most of them is going to be gun hunts. You know, some of them bow hunting, but I'm always going to be hunting on the, where I feel like they're going. So, but there's more than one way they're coming from or, or more than more things that they're checking. So basically they're called thermal hubs or wagon wheels or whatever, more than one train feature coming together. So. That's, that's that's the main reason on them rut hunts is because you can cover more. You can see more leaves than fell off pretty good. So you can see more. And like, again, I'm going to say that most of these are going to be gun hunts or no other hunts. So, so it's it's just normal hubs is what they call them nowadays. Okay. Gotcha. Now, when you're out there scouting, and this might apply more for, for your early season spots that you were talking about, um, h- how do you know? when you found the spot i think that's a, a common struggle among among hunters you know we get out there and we're scouting around and we're seeing sign and you know obviously you might see just a little sign in one spot and you get somewhere else and oh, okay this sign's getting better but how do you know what is it that that makes you say all right th- this is probably where i need to put a stand well say early season you know it is depending on what you're hunting the early season versus Whatever I'm always buck hunting. I'm never I'm never doe hunting unless it's unless it's, I'm knowing specifically where doe groups are and keeping up with that and using that for rip. But early season I'm never doe hunting, so I'm looking for buck track. If I or droppings, I'm gonna find buck tracks or droppings. You know where they're crossing a creek or whatever. And I'm trying to I'm, once I find that track, because I'm generally walking creeks or some kind of drainages to find the easiest place you can find a fresh track. You know, and then maybe droppings. Once I find that, I'll stop and then look. Look at the area and just trying to figure out if he's coming. And, you know, of course, the truck, the track's going to be directional. So, you know, basically which way he's going up or down. And you can use that with rubs because you know which side of the tree they're rubbing on, basically which way they're going and how fresh that is. 
and just try to figure out if he's going, if he's eating or if he's coming from bedding or whatever. And uh, and if, if it's a fresh track and droppings, generally I'm just trying to figure out the hunt right there, especially if it's two tracks because you know that he's 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 using it more than once. So a fresh track or fresh droppings is, is hey, that's the freshest sign you can find. So I'm starting out right there somehow or another. Then I'm all, like I say, in the early season, I'm going to hunt it a time or two. Then I'm moving on and find something else because I don't because it's just too hard to too hard to catch them without them without you without, without them knowing you're hunting them. So I'm always moving the early season. I don't hardly ever hunt the same place two or three times. So I just keep moving fresh tracks and because it's so hard if you hunt a bunch of fresh sign, I've sat on inside that fresh sign so much and not seen anything because most of it's at night or rubs and scrapes. So it's just the only way I hunt a scrape unless I'm it's higher up and it's closer to bedding or or something like that where I feel I can get in there and, and stay above it and downwind. So it's but that all that's real tough for me. I've had very limited success doing that. So I'd rather hunt a big old track, just just walk up and see a big track or a big pile of dropping and just just then hunt that then start from there. But I'm always gonna look at the maps and try to figure out if he's going to bed and if he's going to food or what and then then set up accordingly where it's a morning hunt or evening hunt. Generally on my morning hunts I'm gonna be hunting up on ridges or side ridges or something like that where they're you know, whether they're going back toward bed or, or getting a few acres before they go back to bed. And then in the evenings, I find, find a track where it's coming down off a steep area that's suspected bedding. I, I'm going to hunt that. So, and, I'll, and I'll move on in just hunt different one because it's, it's, just, it's just too tough. And I try to find five or six of them places because I'm only limited on Because at Halloween, I'll be on me so fast. I've only had four or five chances to hunt before <laughs> then. And I'm, I'm starting to move toward rut areas and stuff like that yeah now on these on these rut sites are you typically going in with a specific spot in mind you know you know when you're heading into the woods you know i'm going to this tree to hunt or are you kind of got a general area but you're you're scouting still looking for for fresh shine how, how does that look most of them i already know it's, it's i'm going to a general spot and if it ain't if it's not don't turn out to be what it is when I get there. Then I'll, when I come out, I'll scout coming out. But most of them spots, I already have an idea. And if I, but once I go, cause I, I'm not gonna mess with them until it's the right time. Then once I go in there, and if, if it if it don't look like anything's been doing anything, then I'll move. Because I'll have I'll have like I say, we got four or five of them areas that's over a mile, and you got eight different spots in each one of them things that it just depends on how the acorns are and stuff like that. You might have to move just a little bit because they're They'll be using one area a little bit more specific. Like for this year, if we have red oaks, but we didn't have hardly any of them this year, this past season. So this year, if we have red oaks, and then that'll, that'll make them change just a little bit. So I have to adjust a little bit. But all that, you have to do that kind of in season. But I don't want to, I don't like going out there during the season and just take off walking for a mile, just trying to find something. I kind of got an idea during my postseason scouting where the red oaks are, where the white oaks are, where the much green barriers or honeysuckle or, or whatever, whatever specific food sources. That way I can just, if I go in there and coming out, I can just spot check real quick without having to do much of an intrusion. So, so I keep all that because that's why I'm, in the postseason we'll walk, crap, I don't know, we've walked 50, 60 miles or more this year. So me and Kathy will go out there during turkey season or during March, whatever, and we'll lug it out doing a bunch of walking. You can find different rut areas then that's you know you can find because it's easier to see you can see old scrapes old rubs you know where they where them does have, have knocked the leaves out and kept trails slick and stuff like that so you can you can find all that post-season and then just just keep it documented and slip you in a camera or something in the area and use it for the next season so it's but most of my scouting for that stuff is always post-season okay so you are you're always then actively out there or not always but i mean Every year, you're actively out there yeah, looking for new year. areas. Yeah, every year because summer scouting, we don't do it that much because it's just too hot. Same bugs and poison ivy and stuff like that. And so, but postseason, you can learn so much. Uh, yeah, we go out there to some of the same areas and just because they'll change. They'll, like I said, they'll adjust a little bit the pressure or whatever. And you know, they might move a trail 50 yards or they might go to this other gap or whatever. So, you, the postseason, you learn so much about your area, how it lays, and how the deer are using. So that's what we do. We'll burn them woods up during that time frame. How many times 
will you hunt a spot before you decide it's time to move on? Say, say you're going into one of these rut spots you've picked out. Maybe, maybe there's some sign there, you know, initially that looks good. How many times will you, will you give that spot before you decide it's, it's time to move on to the next one? A rut spot is completely different than my early season. If I, if that cameras or something is telling me that a buck can, or one out of six bucks can come through there and within a week, I'll stay there four days. You know, just depending on how the weather is. But, but if I don't feel the wind is screwing me up or anything, I'll stay a spot four days in a row the whole hunt. So, okay. I even I eat, but that's only like mornings, evenings, I'll go to something different. So I don't use the same spot for evening hunt because I'm all that's kind of. Strategic on how I do that. I just got certain areas that I love the evenings better. So. Yeah, have have you had most of your success in in the mornings or the evenings, or just yeah. a, a mix of both? Ninety something percent mornings. I'm sure uh, I've killed a few in the evenings uh, with bow and gun, but majority of the, all the big ones have been in the mornings. So. Okay, I've interesting. Some, well, I've killed some some decent ones. Well, I've killed a hundred and thirty seven inch at level twelve o'clock. I think. But, I've killed a couple in the middle of the day, but yeah, most of the big ones I haven't killed in the evening. That's going to contradict some people. Some people do better in the evenings and specific spots, but me and most of them's in the mornings. Now, do you during during the rut? Are you giving these places all day sets or? I if my wife's not with me, so if she's hunting with me, I have to get her out because she's only going to hunt a half a day, and most of the time during the rut she's going to hunt mornings, and a lot of times during the pre-rut she'll hunt evenings and stuff. So. We just kind of she switches that up, but you know, if she's not going, I'll hunt all day. So okay. Just in some of specific places, I have all day places, but but if not, then I'm in the evening. I'm going to move to a little bit different place, so something that's kind of tighter where I feel that's thick on on top for a couple of things coming together where where they can just flip down right at dark. Because most of the ones I've killed in the evening, you got just a few minutes when they come down. They just they'll wait right to the last minute. So. Yeah. Now you mentioned that that strategy is a little different than what you do in the early season. How how many sits would you give a spot in the early season? Early season, most times it's just a time or two that I'm moving on something else. It's just okay because I'm so scared of picking a specific buck early season that especially in the mornings you can't in the evening it's easier to sneak in. You can tell if you kind of hopefully tell if you jump something up. But in the next morning, them suckers hear you, whatever, they'll lay there and then just ease out. You never know it. They don't blow or anything. So but most time I'm just giving it a time or two because you'll hear most of you big buck hunters or whatever, they'll say first time, best time. And so I, I kind of use that theory in, in the early season because I don't know if I've messed him up or not. So right. I don't give him a time or two. And if I think it's something, if it's a big buck in a different complete area and I want to spend a little time with it, I'll hunt the same area, but I just moved to, you know, couple hundred yards different or come in from a different way or whatever in that area where I think is at, but I'm not going to hunt the same tree more than once or twice. So on the early season. Okay. Gotcha. Well, you, uh, <clears throat> do you ever circle back to a spot? Like, you know, say you hunted a, a spot a few times, didn't do any good. You moved on. Will you circle back to those spots or, or once you've hunted it, you know, a handful of times, you're probably just going to mark it off for that season. That, that just depends on if I've had if I've had luck somewhere else, and I feel like it, I want to try it again. I will. So that's that, that's never a you know a complete definite thing. But yeah, if it, if I'll come back and check it at least if I if I've run out of or if I've already killed them a target buck or a bigger buck in one of my main areas because most times I kill a big in one area, I'm going to move to something different. So. I can always go back and check that place because it's it's a completely different bug. So, gotcha. Well, I guess a lot, at, of, times a lot of times it's also a completely different area to be, you know, ten miles from where I'm usually hunting at or something. So, right. Well, I guess uh, let's kind of as we kind of start to wrap things up here. What would be your one piece of advice for a maybe a new public land hunter? They're getting out there this year for the for the first time. Um, what what would you tell them to help them maybe find success a little quicker than than they might otherwise? Uh, I'm, I'm going to stick with my my track thing. Tracks it's hard for a track to lie on a big deer. If you're big deer hunting, go try to find fresh tracks somehow or another. Once you find that track, look at your maps. You know, use Onyx or Hunt Stand or whichever one is a bunch of good ones, and try to figure out where it, different edges are, different train changes. 
pay attention to kind of how the wind's going to be and figure out a strategy and just, just be flexible, but be patient. But it's always, and just take off walking. Don't, don't stay too close to the road and feel comfortable with what you're going to do. Make sure you're comfortable with it. Cause if you're not, then you're, you're going to have a bad day because you're going to be nervous, but, but figure out what kind of, what suits the style of hunting you want to do. And then figure out out, look for a big track, find a big track and then and then stick with that. And then kind of, you know, I, I have nothing against calling. I'll do some calling and stuff like that, but you know, just figure out what, what type of style. If you want to run and gun, if you're, if you're climbing, hunting, or if you're, Saddle hunting or whatever, figure that out first, what you're comfortable with, and then stick with it and be patient. And then, you know, and, and you know, don't don't get frustrated too fast because it, it just depends on where you're hunting. If you're hunting specifically deer, and if you're a new hunter, that's what I do. I just hunt specifically deer and kind of learn how deer use things and start out, you know, just hunting basically deer. Don't don't try to make it too hard on yourself because you'll get frustrated pretty quick. So, so I have no problem with somebody just just whacking a few to, to get something under your belt and then start learning how they're, you know, how pay attention to how they're using the woods. That's the biggest thing with me is, is how a buck can travel a hundred yards and, only, and it takes him two hours or whatever because they're making sure they're they're checking wind, they're watching movement, they're standing in shadows, they're always stopping behind something. There's just a lot of things to pay attention to, pay attention to the small things, but the, the small things add up. So that'd be pretty much my strategy. Yeah, yeah. I I think you touched on something key there because I even made that mistake as, as a young hunter, and that is, I mean, just like you said, just just get some deer under your belt. I think especially with today and all the all the hunting media out there, it's easy to get caught in that trap. You know, guys start hunting and right off the bat they want to go out there and kill Pope and Young, right. and man, that that's just going to lead to frustration, and not to mention just getting out there and shooting deer, whether it's does or some, you know, right. some young bucks or whatever the case may be, that's, that's gonna, that's gonna help you out a bunch when that good buck does finally step out there. You know, if, if you get a first buck that comes out to 140 inch buck and you haven't shot another, uh, you know, a buck with your bow before, well, you're gonna, you're gonna have a hard time keeping yourself together probably, or, or at least I did. Yeah, yeah, it took me forever. Like I say, I was 31 years old before I killed my first, you know, decent or what I call a good buck. I, know, I went through a lot of trials and errors. And you got to remember yeah. another thing, you know, my style of hunting is I want the best odds. So it's very rare that I'm hard hunting a specific buck. Most of the times, the areas I'm hunting from pre run on is here where uh, seven different big bucks come through checking for those or whatever. So I want the odds in my favor more. But it's hard for me to just hunt specific bucks the whole time. So and that's that's why this so the main area we're talking about on this podcast and we're just talking about specific, specifically is. But after the first second week of December, well, I'm moving on to a complete different piece of public land because it's getting close to that rut. So I want I want some better. But I want to, I'm playing the odds more on stuff like that. So I mean, it's yeah. hard for me to hunt. You know, if you're hunting a specific buck, that makes things a lot harder most times. Especially in Alabama and the, and the big woods to me. Now, if you're hunting Iowa or somewhere like that, where you got more crop edges and stuff like that, you can play that a little bit different because you can glass and, and see more things and learn things a little bit faster. But big woods is a whole different scenario. So. Oh, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, any uh, any big plans for the 2022 season? I know, like you said, you're, you're going to have a hard time topping last year. But, uh, but, but <laughs> yeah, you made any big plans for this year? I'm trying to talk to my wife and like, let me hunt with her. She don't, but she don't like it. She likes being by herself. I thought, well, we just trying to work on getting her shot at a big one, maybe film, film it or something like that. Like right now, I can't get her to play along with it. <laughs> I, I want her to, she didn't get to hunt as much last year because she had a little, some people had some medical issues in her family. So, so I'm going to try to concentrate more on her, something like that. So. But uh, we still, we got a few that could be some good ones, but we don't have anything that's, you know, that that caliber. I think last last time, last time we interviewed or whatever, I talked about this deer a little bit maybe, but I don't have anything that big that I know of. We got some decent ones. But, and there's some rumors of some monsters walking around, but I, I expect this year to be, like I said, it could be good throughout the whole state. So we'll, but it's, 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 it's time, and I'm, I'm kind of anxious just to see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, for anybody that wants to keep up with you and how your season's going, are you active anywhere on social media? 
or well, YouTube? I got, or? I got YouTube. Me and a little young guy, that's wild hunting. You can see some uh, some scouting plant topics and stuff like that that we've done. And I got a few old retro hunts like bear hunt and a mule deer hunt, stuff like that on there. But, there. but there's some scouting stuff on there that we're trying to get into that I think we got told a total of 20-something videos. So y'all can check that out. We're going to try to do some more as we're keep going on through the hunting season. I don't know how much actual filming I'm going to do while hunting. That makes that increases the, oh, the, yeah. the trouble. So I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can get into that that much. It's going to have to be something simple. If I do some try to video my hunts, but anyway, yeah, that's wild hunting. You can find me on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Message me. I'll try. I try to get back with everybody that messaged me. I love talking with them and try to help people because uh, we got to share this. You know, it's not all just about me or whatever, and then I, I love sharing it and helping everybody else that I can. So just uh, hit, just hit me up, and I'll be fine with getting back with you. So. All right, yeah, well, we appreciate that, and we'll uh, I'll be sure to include a link to those the uh, your YouTube channel and stuff in the in the show notes so people can find you. But Thanks, sir. but um, yeah, Michael, I, I appreciate it. I've uh, enjoyed it as always, and uh, yeah, looking forward to to seeing how you do this season. I do too. Thank you, and I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all y'all's work, everybody that's doing these podcasts and stuff, because this information helps a lot of people, the younger guys, and everybody that's trying to do stuff. So, so keep up the good work, man. I, I really appreciate it. Yep, not a problem. Yeah, we've we've come a long way from having to run up to the local video store to, to rent a VHS hunting video. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, yeah. A lot of information out there these days. So, yeah, that's a good thing. That is a good thing. There's no, no such thing as too much information. Just pick what you need. That's right. That's right. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Michael Perry. Uh, Thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to uh, listen to podcasts. You should be able to find us there. Uh, or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the, the podcasting charts and be more visible to uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at deerassociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can become a member. And don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show to get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free NDA hat. So be sure to take advantage of that. And, uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, If it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends.